So last week, we started into this series uh, that we're calling Give Like a Macedonian. And uh, we started in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to go all the way through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 uh, by the end of June. And we want to just see uh, what God has to teach us through this passage about Christian giving. So we saw last week that the model for Christian giving is to give generously, cheerfully, sacrificially, deliberately, and voluntarily. So the question then comes up, how does tithing fit into all of this? And so I started looking into tithing. I started thinking about tithing. I started reading about tithing, and it was going to be a section of a sermon. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to stop here, and we're going to talk about tithing. Now, I have found it very interesting, and you may not. Uh, but I, I think there's a lot to learn here. Uh, there's so many things, you know, there's so many things in the Old Testament. And I know the Old Testament is hard, and I don't think it has to be. And I hope that we at Hope Bible Church can clear up some of those things. But things like tithing and the Sabbath day and why don't we, why, did, why do we eat shellfish when it says not to? And these questions, we're really kind of getting into a little bit of that today. Um, and, I, and I hope I'm going to be able to unpack some of that for you, at least as it relates um, to tithing. So just so you'll know, the word tithe means a tenth. Uh, and there's no command in the New Testament to give a tenth. All right. So maybe that's surprising to you or maybe you just assumed that tithing sort of carried over into the New Testament because it was a part of the Old Testament. Um, we're going to just unpack some of that this morning, and we're going to start all the way back in Genesis, and we're going to work our way forward. Okay, so this is maybe going to be a little bit more of a Bible study uh, than a, 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 a sermon at first, but I, I, think, I think we're going to encounter some things that you'll be very interested in as we go along here. So turn with me to the book of Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 4, and I'm just going to kind of just work our way quickly through a few things. Uh, let's see. Chapter 4, I think verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3 of Genesis. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering... He had no regard. So here we have sort of the first time in the Bible uh, mention of giving. Okay, and so when you think of people offering, uh, they're bringing a sacrifice. They're bringing some of their possessions to God. I don't know how Cain and Abel knew to do this. I don't know why Abel knew to bring of the firstborn of his flock and Cain either didn't or ignored it. I don't know how that happened. I have some suspicions about how that may be the case. But for our purposes this morning, I just want you to see that from the very earliest, giving was motivated sort of spontaneously um, out of a response to God. And as far as we have written here, there's, there's no command. We're told that Abel brought an offering from the firstborn of his flock. Um, not only was that a a blood offering, so it, it cost him something, but it was also it was from the first of his flock, meaning it was 
off the top. And this is going to be very, very important as we go along. This idea of bringing of the first and the best. That's, that's what they did in the Old Testament. They brought the first and the best. Cain's offering is only said to be of the fruit of the ground. It doesn't even say, not only is it not an animal offering, but it doesn't even say that he brought of his first fruits. It just says of the fruit of the ground, Abel's offering pleased God, Cain's did not. And so without getting into the details, what we see here is that from the earliest pages of Genesis, um, there is a way to give that pleases God, and there is a way to give that does not please God. And in the process, there's no mention of the tithe there. Okay? All right. Uh, keep moving. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 8. And we see Noah. Noah has been on the ark for a year. He gets off the ark. He has landed on dry land. And uh, Genesis 8.20 says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So Noah is excited he has been saved from the flood he is excited to be off of the ark and so he offers a sacrifice to god and it seems to me that it's a pretty extensive offering in that he offers some of every clean animal and every clean bird he doesn't hold back maybe noah's wife was sitting there being like why don't we hold off on offering some of the clean animals until we are around here for a little while and we see how things go but Noah is like, no, we're going we're gonna to give of our best because we are thankful that God has delivered us. And once again, it's a free will offering. And I just, I just want you to see there's no mention of the tithe here. Okay. All right. So then let's move forward to Abraham. Jump over to chapter 12 in Genesis. Abram, as he was called when he was first called by God, seems to have been a regular sacrificer, as it were. Uh, when, when God announced something to him or was potentially gracious to him, Abram went and built an altar. So in chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, we see the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai sorry, on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And every time we see one of these altars, it's a form of giving. Because you're taking from your flock, you're taking, and that's, that's your possessions. So every time Abram does this, he's taking from his flock this blessing that God has given him. He's taking from the flock and he is sacrificing that to God. And, and just to notice, every time God makes some kind of gracious announcement to Abram. He responds with a sacrifice, with an offering. Turn over to Genesis 13, verses 14 through 18. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, from all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring will also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Okay, so this was Abram's practice, all right? No tithe. I am thankful, and I want to I express this, 
this thankfulness in my own free will to God, so I'm going to build an altar. All right. So maybe you're thinking, but there was that one time when Abram gave a tenth. And it's true. There was. Uh, Genesis chapter 14. If that's what you were thinking, you're correct. Genesis chapter 14. Good old Melchizedek. This shadowy figure who like seems so important, but he only like waves at us. He like pops on the stage of the Bible a couple times and he waves at us and then he goes away and we're not real clear always who he is. Um, but look at Genesis 14, 17 through 20. After his return from the defeat of Chedor Laomor, that's, I don't know how to say that. Um, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the Valley of Sheba. That is the king's valley and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And he was a priest of the God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. All right. So there we have the first mention of the tithe. So Lot has been conquered by the kings uh, of this, this Chedda, or whatever his name is, well, Chedi, we'll call him Chedi. That's what all his friends probably called him. So he's been, he's been captured by, by Chedi, and they've been taken out. This, he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah at the time, and Abram puts together this militia and goes out and, and, and just captures that king and rescues Lot. And in the process, he acquires all of these spoils, um, from these defeated kings. And so on the way back, he meets this mysterious figure, Melchizedek. Melchizedek Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem, which was Jerusalem. Okay, one day it will become Jerusalem. And he blesses Abram. And in response to that, Abram gives him a tenth of everything. Hebrews 7, 4 says, See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And this is the first mention that we have of the tithe in the whole Bible. And some say that this means since the tithe predated the law, that we should all be tithing. But in reality, all this proves is that the idea of giving a tenth predated the law. And by the way, there's evidence in other cultures, Egyptians, Assyrians, even the Chinese, that to give a tenth to a pagan god was a, it was a gift of completeness, okay? So it was something that other cultures did as well. In all likelihood, Abram wants to honor God because of this blessing that has come through Melchizedek, which was commonly done in that day. And so he says, I'm going to give you a tenth. It's interesting that he says to a tenth of the spoils. I'm going to give you a tenth out of worship of, of what God has given me through this uh, battle. So what we see here from the earliest days, this is all I want you to see as, we, as we're in Genesis here, is this spontaneous free will offering that, that godly people acted upon in, in, out of the goodness of God. So God has blessed me, so I want to respond with an offering. There's no divine command. And none of this would we consider normative. Like, at no place in here are we said, give like Abraham gave, or give like Noah gave, or give like Abel gave. We're just, we're understanding that this was an impulse that is in godly people, faithful people, and it's something that I would say continues to this day. Now, let's just think about this concept of a free will offering for a second, because I, I think we need to hear this. I don't, this is not something you hear about a lot, 
Sometimes God's people are just motivated to make a sacrifice to him. Something wells up in them. You're not trying to earn your salvation. You're not trying to purchase your salvation. You're not trying to curry favor with God. But there's this sense that you've become aware of the blessings of God and the promises of God. And and you're motivated to do something in response to please him. And when you do that, especially in the Old Testament, they didn't just go and find some old thing laying around the tent and bring it to God. They brought the first and they brought the best. They gave of what was valuable. And I think that this is an impulse that it would be good for us to develop in our lives and in our hearts. I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians give dutifully to the work of the ministry and to the the work of the church. And that's good. That's a part of our worship together. But as you have this sense, as you're as you're seeing God for who he is and seeing what Christ has done, I, I, I think it would be good for us to begin to practice that impulse to, to respond in the worship of giving. You, you've been blessed with extra income that you would say, God, thank you by, by giving of that first. God, God has answered a prayer that you've been praying and that the, the desire might well up within us to say, thank you, God. I want to I give to you. God, I'm so aware of your deliverance from sin and from the work that you've done that I want to respond by giving. And I, I, we don't hear a lot of this. This isn't, this isn't taught, this spontaneous, thankful, praise-centered giving, but it's very, very appropriate for God's people to say, you have blessed me, and I want to thank you in a way that costs something. Okay? All right, there's, there's, a, there's one more passage in Genesis that we have to look at because it sort of goes a different direction from what we've seen uh, as far as giving in God uh, so far in Genesis, and that is the example of Joseph. And it's very important in, uh, in the book of Genesis. So Genesis 41, beginning in verse 34, Joseph is interpreting Pharaoh's dream. And this is what we find there. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. Okay, so Joseph is interpreting Pharaoh's dream. It's a prophecy. There's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And God, through Joseph, instructs Pharaoh to set aside, have, have, have the whole country of Egypt set aside 20% of their crops during the plentiful years so that they can store up and then have that to use um, during the time of famine. So this is very interesting. Y'all, this is the first mention in the Bible of a federal income tax. All right? So that's, that's what this is. And it's introduced by God. I'm sorry for all you libertarians out there. But God introduces this federal income tax. And notice, what is the percentage? It's 20%. 20%, not 10%. Keep that in mind as we continue. Because um, it's, it's very interesting how consistent that number is here. Okay? So to summarize giving in the book of Genesis... Um, we should see that we would all be free will, sacrificial, 
giving, uh, faithful, godly people are, are sacrificial givers. We see one instance of required taxation that is mandated by God. And so this is the pattern that we're going to see throughout the scriptures. And that is this. There is free willed giving and there is required giving. And God expects his people to do both. Okay, so we see that all the way back in the book of Genesis. Okay, so then let's turn to the law. My wife told me this week that I say okay a lot. And like every time I say it, I'm like, I just said it again. I just said okay again. Okay, okay. Gotta stop that. Somebody mentions that to you. It's like a bell goes off every day and happens. All right, so tithing in the Mosaic law. Um, Relative to what we've just said then, Tithing falls under required giving. And here's what you have to understand. The tithe was the taxation of the nation of Israel. And as we're going to see, the actual tithe, the percentage that Israel owed was more than 10% because there were three tithes that were required by the law. So if anyone tells you, you need to be tithing like the Israelites, then you need to say, you, are more, you owe more money than you've been paying so far. Because as we're going to see, it was, it was about 23% that the Israelites owed for the tithe. Okay, the first tithe is the one you would expect. The first tithe is the tithe for the Levites, all right? Um, okay, so let me just, let me give you a little bit of background here. So God calls the people together at Mount Sinai, and he says, I will, be, uh, I will be your God, and they say, we will be your people, and they make a covenant, and God builds a tabernacle, and he starts dispensing laws, because, this is so key to understand, Israel is a theocracy. God is the king. God himself is the king, and he is going to dispense laws. And so in Leviticus 27, he says, every tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So God says, first and foremost, Israel, my people, my country that I am the king of, 10% of whatever you have is mine. It belongs to me. It doesn't belong to the people. In fact, if you don't give your tithe, you are stealing from God. All right? So what was it for? Numbers 18. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do their service in the tent of meeting. And then in verse 24, for the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Okay, so the tithe then is the taxation that is going to pay for the Levites. And the Levites are the priests. They don't have a land. There's no, there's no tribe of, when you look at the map of the division of the land of Israel, Levi never got any land. They had cities within each of the other lands. Uh, but their, theirs was to take care of the tabernacle. And so the tithe was to pay them. They weren't given any way to make money. So they had to be supported by the other tribes. So think of it this way. In a democracy, all right, I know we live in a constitutional republic, but just for the sake of as we're discussing right here, a democracy is a government, okay, where the people elect their leaders. So democracy means people, led by the people. So we choose our leaders and we support them. 
in a theocracy, a nation led by God, God chooses the leaders, and then he says, you're going to support your leaders. All right, so that's what he's doing here. He, that's what he's doing in the tithe. And so just like any other nation, Israel was expected to pay their taxes, and if they failed to pay, they were stealing from God. Listen to Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Malachi says, will you rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord God of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down blessing until there is no more need. These are strong words. Who wants to be accused of stealing from God? And what they were doing was they were trying to give less than was required. And God says, what you need to do, because what they're trying to do is they're saying, if I give 10%, I am not sure I'm going to have enough. And God is saying, you trust me. You trust me. Stop stealing from me. Give what I've required and see that I don't meet your needs. That's what God is saying to the nation of Israel about their tithes. Okay. All right, so that's the first tithe, the Levitical tithe. The second tithe, this is the cool tithe, y'all. Y'all are not going to believe this tithe. I, I actually shared this with a couple of people this week, and they were like, no way. I can't believe that's in the Bible. Okay, listen, to, this is called the festival tithe. All right, this is great. This is going to change your life. All right, I know I'm selling this thing. All right, here we go. So Deuteronomy 14, turn there. I want you to turn there. I know probably your, your pages on Deuteronomy are probably stuck together, but that's okay. Deuteronomy 14. <laughs> Spread those pages out. Verse 22. I'm going to read a a little bit of a long paragraph, but you wait till we get to the end. Verse 22. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell... You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind it up into money in your hand. Don't, don't read further. Look up. Everybody look up. Don't read further. Okay, so what he's saying here is God is going to establish a place. Now, we know eventually that place will be Jerusalem, and that's where the, the, the um, temple will be. Actually, in Shiloh, they have the tabernacle. So God is going to establish a place. So don't read ahead. Stop it. God is going to establish a place, and you're supposed to save out your grain and your, your livestock 10%. And if it's too far away, you need to turn that grave and livestock into money so that you can go to the place where the temple is. Okay, here we go. Keep going. Bind that up in your money to the place that God chooses and spend the money on whatever you desire. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. This was a tithe so that they could have a huge party you are supposed to set aside an extra tenth so you've already tithed a tenth for the levites now you're going to set aside an extra tenth 
for these festivals and these sacrifices. It's a huge potluck that the nation of Israel has, and you come to that spot and you bring your money, you buy whatever you want. I mean, did you see that? You buy whatever your heart desires. You go to that place and you and your family eat it before the Lord and rejoice. Isn't that a fascinating command? Set aside 10% and go purchase what your heart craves and eat it before the Lord. God makes provision for his people to enjoy feasting and rejoicing. Set aside your money for the purpose of a party. God wants you, Israel, to have enjoyment. So, okay, so this is not a normative command. I, I, it, it wouldn't be bad if it was, okay? All right, but this is not a normal. But what does this tell us about our Father? Okay, so what application can we draw from this command thousands of years ago to the people of Israel? This is, this is the application I think we can draw. He wants his people to enjoy his blessings. I think this standard goes across time. God is pleased when we use our resources to rejoice. And there are times when we as families and there are times when we as a church should stop and celebrate together. And we should budget for it. And we shouldn't do it all the time. But there should be room in our budget to buy the things that our hearts desire so that we can rejoice before the Lord together. You know, we have, a, we have a line item in our budget for hope that says just pretty much eating together. And I believe that God is pleased with that provision and we should use it and we should not feel bad about it and we're going to give to other things too. In my opinion, and we talked about this a little bit this year and we'll talk about maybe next in future years, I think Easter ought to be a time when we just blow it out around here. I mean, like, that is the time if, it, when God's people ought to be saying, we are rejoicing at the resurrection of our king. So y'all, y'all just take that seed and let that just grow. And we can talk about that. we got a whole year now. All right. So, but, but moving forward then, we're at 20%. All right. We're at 20% that uh, the, the Israelites owed for the tithe. And there's one more. And that is the tithe for the poor. The poor. Tithe number three, Deuteronomy 14 at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands in all that you do. So every three years, they're supposed to set aside an additional 10% that would provide for those who cannot provide for themselves. So the orphan, the widow, the sojourner, from the earliest days, God was concerned. Y'all, this is a welfare tax, all right? God was concerned that the nation of Israel provide for those among them who could not take care of themselves, all right? This is not a command uh, that we take 10% of our income every three years and that we give to the poor, but I think there's much to learn here. Our father, what we learn from this is that our father cares for those who cannot care for themselves. He made provision in in the, the, the nation where he was king. He made provision for that. Don't forget we read last week that Paul, when he went up to Jerusalem to talk to Peter and James and John, 
that he's, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. They said, we only want to make sure that you remember the poor. And Paul said that was the very thing that he was eager to do. All right. So three tithes, Levitical tithe, festival tithe, and a tithe for the poor. The Israelites, if you do the math, paid an average of 23% of their total possessions during a year. And then there were like smaller things too that they had to do. Nehemiah talks about a a tax that went towards the temple. Uh, They had to leave the corners of their fields uh, unharvested for the the sake of the poor to come and, and partake in that. Okay, so just like any other nation, if you lived in Israel, you had to pony up. Um, to keep the government going in these ways that God required. All right? So, then, not okay. So, so, was this all there was to give in Israel? Under the Mosaic Law, was that it? Were you done? And the answer is no. So, faithful people still gave spontaneously, freely, voluntarily, generously, cheerfully, deliberately, just like the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8. And we find this, we've already seen it in Genesis. We find it all throughout the Old Testament. We talked about that tabernacle offering last week where Moses called for whoever's heart moves him to come and give to the tabernacle. And they brought so much stuff that Moses had to go back to the people and be like, you got to stop giving. You've given too much stuff um, here. And they, they had to be told to stop. Deuteronomy 14 uh, says this. It says, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place where he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. So very simply, when you come to the temple, don't come empty-handed. When you come for the festivals, Give as you are able. Give as the Lord has blessed you. God wanted his people to be consistent givers, and they gave consistently as they were able. Proverbs 9, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. That just simply teaches give first. Plan to give first. Give of the first fruits. Give before you know that the harvest is going to be plentiful. Give at the beginning of the month before you even know whether you're going to have enough to finish the rest of the month. Let me share one more thing with you that I think is very interesting and I think we can learn something from. And that is David at the threshing floor of Arana. Turn to 2 Samuel 24. This is a very, very interesting passage. And then we'll wrap this up. 2 Samuel 24, the prophet Gad comes to David and tells him to go and offer a sacrifice uh, on the the threshing floor of a guy named uh, Arana. A-R-A-U-N-A-H. Arana. And so Arana sees David. So picture yourself if you see the president coming up your walkway. Arana sees that. And he goes out and he says, uh, how can I help you? And so this is, look at verse 21. David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord uh, that the plague may be averted from the people. And then Aranah said to David, let my Lord the king take 
and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arana gives to the king. So Arana says, just take it. Take the altar. Here are some oxen. Do your sacrifice. Like, you're the king. You can have it. Um, and Arana said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Arana, this is David speaking, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. I will not buy, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. I was thinking this morning about like those food drives, you know, where everybody's supposed to bring a canned good. What do most people do? They go to the pantry and they find those canned goods that like, it's like the pureed pumpkin, you know, lots of pureed pumpkin, navy beans, uh, you know, stewed peaches and carrots, things like that. It's things, you know, you go to the back of the pantry and you find that can that, of course, you're not going to use and you give that to. David would have been like, I'm not going to give of something that cost me nothing. And when we are moved to give freely in response to the greatness of our God, it should come with a desire to give our best. We don't go and try to find some old thing that we can get rid of. We give of our best. We give what costs us. And so throughout the Old Testament, we find these examples of free will giving. And we see that they give first and that they give the best. They give according to what the Lord has blessed them. They give joyfully. And then they give and trust God. And I hope you see there's nothing inconsistent with the Macedonians from last week. So we saw it before Moses and we see it in Moses And we see it in the New Testament as well. So here's the way it was. You were required to pay taxation, the tithe. And then there was always free giving, free will giving that was to be done generously and sacrificially. Okay, so let me make just one connection then to the New Testament that I think will that I think will help you here. And that is this. Tithing is not mentioned, but taxation is. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? They're asking Jesus. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar's, Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Paul says in Romans 13, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all that is owed them taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So we're not expected to pay 20% to the king of Egypt, and we're not expected to tithe 23% uh, for the sake of the Old Testament um, law. But this really, this is very key to biblical interpretation here. We are expected... To, to give what our government requires in terms of taxation, and then over and above that, we give a free will offering as our hearts are motivated. 
So it's really the same. All the way into the New Testament, you have required giving, taxation. Paul says in Romans, pay the government. And then you have free will giving that is modeled after the Macedonians, that is voluntary and deliberate in all the things that we've seen. All right? So what can we learn from tithing? Number one, tithing started with giving the first and the best, and so should we. Tithing started with giving the first and the best, and so should we. So the idea of tithing is that it comes off the top. That 23% belongs to God. It went to God first. To keep it from God was to rob God. We shouldn't wait to see if we have enough to give. We should should give off the top and trust God. God says, everything I have, everything you have belongs to me anyway. God is not going to allow us to go needy. So the principle of first and best that is contained in this idea of tithing, I think should move forward to how we give. Like David, our mindset should be, I, I am not going to give something to God that costs me nothing. I want to give of, of my first and I want to give of my best. And then, and then secondly, what we can learn from the tithe is that tithing was indeed an act of trust. And so we give first and we give best, and we don't worry if we're going to have enough later, okay? Um, what, what if you give and you don't have enough to live on? Well, you have to trust God that he will provide. And, and look at Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Again, we, we saw this earlier. He, at the end of it, he says, Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hopes, if I will not host, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you in blessing until there is no more need. I, I, we have the Macedonians, you know, they gave beyond what they were able. The, 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 the widow in the temple put in her last two copper coins. Do we not believe that God didn't continue to provide for them even as they gave beyond what they were able? And, and if, you, if, you, if you want to be filled in on some of that, go back and listen to that from last week. Um, don't go into debt to give. But, but there is a principle here that says it, it honors God when it wells up within us to give more than we are even able to give and to trust that God will take care of us. Um, number three, free will giving was always separate from the tithe. All right, so the spirit welled up in people all the way back to the beginning to give as they were thankful. I don't see any reason why this shouldn't be even more true of us, especially in Christ, that as we contemplate what we have in Jesus that we'd, we know more and more about God's mercy and grace and that that leads us to want to spontaneously give. We talked about the new covenant in 2 Corinthians and how great that is and that we wouldn't contemplate that and say, I want to I give back to you. I do think it's interesting, y'all, that so many Christians today understand worship to be an act of receiving. Worship in the Bible is an act of giving. It is an act of giving of ourselves and our resources. And remember Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I, I have this like feeling that some today would like run after Jesus and say, Jesus, careful, you're being a legalist. You don't want to give Zacchaeus the idea that he's, that he's earning his salvation. And I think clearly Jesus thought otherwise. The work of the Spirit 
produced a desire to give freely in Zacchaeus. And Jesus saw that as evidence of salvation. So we are not saved by works, but we are saved to good works. And for many of us, those good works are going to be that we share what God has given us. And then finally, if you're new to giving, 10% is a decent place to start. I really believe that. I think 10% is a decent place to start. I don't think we should be stuck on 10%. If you're struggling with the idea of giving of your first and your best, I think you should start with 10%. That's where I started. Uh, I have known many others who have started there and been blessed. Start by taking it off the top. That's the first check you write. Bring it when you come to worship. We don't, we're we're going to have a lot of chance as we move on through these chapters to talk practically about how we give here. Um, we have the offering box in the back. We don't pass the plate. Uh, I am certainly not saying that electronic payments are wrong, but I do think there's something to writing that check and bringing it as an act of worship and, and, and putting it in the box or however a church collects that. Um, let your children know what you're doing. Like, talk to them about the fact that we are, we are writing this check. It is, it is from the first and the best. Train them, disciple them, uh, disciple that next generation in what it means to give and to give biblically. If, if God stirs your heart, if you have a family, and if, if God st- stirs your heart together to give, talk to your kids about that. This is what we're going to do together, and this is why. And we're going to bring it together or we're going to give it to this person together or we're going to we're going to take it and use it in this organization together. Explain that and disciple your kids in that. This I'm telling you, this whole thing, Jesus is going after hypocrisy when he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. He's not saying never, ever, ever talk to anybody about giving. All right. That is not the point that he is trying to make. All right. I work really hard to always tie in our um, Lord's Supper. And I couldn't think of anything today. So we are just going to uh, take of this, take of this supper with grateful hearts. Uh, we, we take the bread and the cup uh, together. We'll, I'll, uh, after you receive the bread and the cup, in just a second, hold on to that. After we've all got it, um, I'll stand up and read a scripture. And we will, we will partake Uh, today with grateful hearts for all that the Lord has done for us as we consider um, the truths that are contained in this little meal. All right.